Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Amen. Well, um, as Brendan mentioned, and as we mentioned last week, we're going to be taking the next few weeks and sitting with uh, what many scholars have called the book of signs. Uh, there are seven signs that take place in the first half of John's gospel. And it's easy to sort of take these signs as nothing but some very specific miracles of Jesus. In fact, it's many miracles that you're probably familiar with. Water to wine, feeding the 5,000, a number of different healing stories. But these signs are much more than miracles. Uh, signs point us to something in John's gospel that is true about God, but is also true about ourselves. And in fact, uh, signs, even practically, if you're driving down the road and you see signs, the purpose of those signs is to orient you, is to locate you, is to tell you how to get from point A to point B. And I would argue that biblical signs do that as well. And one of the things that they help us do is to orient ourselves and to find ourselves in God's stories. Um, but in, in the midst of stories that are in and of themselves miraculous, it's also easy to forget that these are incredibly human stories. In fact, it's one of the things I love about any of the stories in, in Holy Scripture is that they are deeply human. If you are putting together uh, a collection of stories in order to bolster up some form of religion, most of the time you probably wouldn't pick the type of messy human stories that Scripture contains, and yet it is full of them. And I think that what is so, in fact, even in the, the signs in John, the next few weeks, we're going to see uh, people facing shameful situations, individuals facing scarcity and sickness, hunger and need. Um, and again, it's one of those these moments, anytime we enter in with stories like this in the Gospels, I always think it's important to remind ourselves to avoid the extremes. One extreme is to only see what, this, what these stories tell us about God. But the other equal extreme is to only pay attention to what these stories teach us about ourselves. And yet these stories are going to teach us something about both. They point us to something true about God and something true about ourselves. And maybe another way of saying that is uh, these stories invite us to get in touch with reality. And reality, friends, is our best friend. Uh, because reality is not in a fictitious past or future. Uh, God is in reality here and now. And so it's important uh, that we are in touch with it. And so we're going to look at this story really in four movements, four things that I want us to, to pay attention to this morning. Uh, and the first movement, the first thing I want us to pay attention to is that this couple runs out of wine. Uh, if you are familiar at all with with weddings in the uh, in the ancient Near East, uh, you know that their parties and their weddings were a heck of a lot more fun than ours were, right? Our weddings, we put on some comfortable, maybe uncomfortable clothes. We show up somewhere for a few hours and then we go home. Uh, but weddings in the Middle East last for weeks upon end. Uh, the whole neighborhood was invited. It's the reason why Jesus and his mom and his friends are all there. And the financial responsibility of the wedding fell on the groom's family. Um, and so different in a number of different ways. And in this story, in the wedding that Jesus is attending, they run out of wine. And in that day, there wasn't an ABC store that they could just, you know, run down the street, pick up some more liquor. Everything's going to be okay. No one notices. They run up to Trader Joe's. I don't think it's three buck Chuck anymore. It's like four or five buck Chuck with inflation. So whatever it is, they don't, they can't just run somewhere in order to pick up a case and bring it back. And to run out of a lot out of wine at a wedding is incredibly embarrassing for this couple and for this family. It's a social disgrace. 
Uh, not only does it mean that the party was over, uh, but many of the people attending to hear that the wine had run out would have served as a bad omen for this marriage. This marriage is over before it even begins. In fact, to go so far, there were even laws that would have allowed the bride's family to sue the groom's family over running out of wine. I don't know if that would put y'all on edge inviting people over to your house. Hey, we ran out of wine and now they can sue you. But um, and so there's a there's a lot that that sort of John is setting up in this moment of what this couple is getting ready to experience. Um, but the first thing I want to invite us to uh, to see, and one of the things that I think we're meant to see in this story is that we all tend to run out. Every single one of us has a tendency to run out. Uh, this story is intended to remind us that our resources are finite, uh, that part of being human is having limits. Uh, no matter what stories we tell ourselves, no matter how many times we try to circumvent those limitations, we are human and to be human is to have limitations. Our resources are finite and we all run out. And so one of the questions that I think we need to ask is, are we aware of the places where we are running out or are we aware of the places where we have run out? And I think this is in some, in some seasons of life, it's probably easier to go, yeah, I don't need anyone to tell me I've run out. I know. Um, and yet there are other seasons and depending on your story, depending on your wiring, how you've been formed. Uh, and for some of us, it's easier to name those places than others, uh, to name the places where we have run out of strategies in order to solve our problems. Uh, we've run out of good reputation. We're running out of energy. We're running low on health, on finances, on emotions that feel positive, of friendships, of sleep. Can we actually name those places where we are running thin? And again, we are limited. It's part of what it means to be human. But these last few years, even as we enter again into this season of just COVID numbers on the rise, we are running and bumping up against, once again, our own limitations. And I think that there are two extremes here when we do run into our limitations. One is to deny and numb. I don't actually have limitations. The limitations are not as bad as I think they are. You can walk into any local bookstore or Barnes and Noble, and there will be rows upon rows upon rows of how to overcome your limitations, of how to circumvent, pull yourself up by your bootstrap. If this strategy doesn't work, there's always going to be a new book and a new podcast that's going to tell you how to avoid your own limitations. Um, and so one of the extremes is to deny and numb, but the other extreme is to stay at the altar of despair and scarcity of sort of, uh, you know, we, we sort of use cynicism disguised as uh, just wanting to be realistic. Well, I'm just being realistic about life and it ends up just being veiled cynicism. And I think there's an invitation for those of us who long to follow Jesus to not only name our limitations, but not stay there. Um, I'd submit to you that there's an invitation in this story toward hope. Uh, Jürgen Moltmann in his book, A Theology of Hope, wrote this. He wrote, quote, hope finds in Christ not only a consolation in suffering, but also the protest of the divine promise against suffering. Those who hoped in Christ can no longer put up with reality as it is, but began to suffer under it and to contradict it, end quote. I think there's an invitation not only to name our limitations, to name where we're running, where we're running on empty or where the bottom of the jar can be seen. But I think there's an invitation uh, to do the second thing, which is to do the second thing that I, I want us to notice in this story. And it's the action of Mary. Uh, rather than just remaining at the altar of scarcity and despair, uh, Mary notices that there's a lack. 
She's able to name it. We're running out of wine, that they've run out of wine and attempts to pull Jesus into the story. And I think that's where for the follower of Jesus, there's a different way. Yes, to name our despair, to continue to name our despair and the despairs of others, but to, to, to follow Mary in her movement of attempting to pull Jesus into his story. Now, it's easy to sort of get caught up in Jesus's words and the way that the gospel writers um, describe Jesus talking to his mom. He's not rebuking his mom. And it's not as harsh as it sounds. Jesus is just being direct and to the point. Jesus is saying, hey, it isn't time. But I think that in Jesus's words to his mother, there's also an invitation. He's inviting her to be persistent. I always think about the parable Jesus tells of the persistent friend who knocks on the door and knocks on the door and knocks on the door until finally their friend opens the door. And Jesus intends for us to see God as that friend, that sometimes there is a knocking on the door in the middle of midnight until he answers. And I think there's an invitation here for us to involve Jesus, even if we don't know what he's going to do. I mean, maybe this is just me. I always want to invite Jesus after he tells me what he's going to do once I invite him in. And very rarely Jesus is like, I think that we need to, do we try different ways? We do this with coping mechanisms. We do this with our own white knuckling. Um, we do this when prayer is not answered. We try to pivot to another option. Oftentimes those other options can be disguised as spirituality. And yes, all truth is God's truth. But I think one of the questions we have to pay attention to is whether or not our strategies require Jesus. And if they don't, then I would have some serious concern about whether or not those strategies without Jesus, if, especially if they don't need Jesus, are actually what is going to bring healing and restoration. And so Mary invites Jesus in. And why is it that Mary invites Jesus in? What is it that Mary knew? Uh, well, Mary turns to the servants and she says, hey, be ready to participate in what God wants you to do. Um, and I think one of the things that Mary knew is she knew the heart of her son. Uh, she had spent enough time with him. Uh, she had seen his compassionate looks toward those in need. She had seen him as a child and a teenager, as a young man, move toward those in need. I think Mary knew that the instinctual heart of her son was one of compassion. And this is the third thing, putting it is God's hope. Oh, Am I freezing up? Yeah. Are we back? Yeah. All right. Good. <laughs> one of the things that I think, uh, one of the things that I think we're meant to see is God's instinctual heart is to spare humans from humiliation and shame. Uh, the miracle that Jesus is working here is to spare a young unnamed couple. We don't know their names. God knows their names from shame. Uh, this was Jesus's first miracle was to spare this couple from shame. Uh, and I think God wants to do the same work in our hearts. God is looking at people like us, his friends, with compassion. Uh, God is looking at us when we are not at our best and his instinctual heart towards us in that moment is one of compassion. Psalm 116, verse 5, the Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. Mark 6, 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. And so the fourth thing, though, I want us to see is that Jesus pulls in other people. 
Um, one of the things that I've been thinking about quite a bit lately is how despair and scarcity are formational. I'll say that again, despair and scarcity are formational. Uh, despair and scarcity, if you sit with those long enough, form us into the kind of people who only have ourselves in view. We only help ourselves. We are only compassionate toward ourselves. Uh, we receive, but then we hoard God's hospitality, restoration, and shalom. Why? Because the scarcity we've been formed by and the real pain and woundedness that we've been formed by not having what we need form us into believing that everything is scarce, including God's abundant kingdom. And over and against this is the good news that you and I were created to name despair, um, to name scarcity where we see it, but to join with God in a cooperating friendship. And again, God won't wrangle us on this, uh, but yet in his wisdom, he's decided that the good work of healing, of redemption, of restoration, of shalom in this world is not a work that he does without us. It's a work that he does in us and through us. And I believe it shows up in some, uh, and most often in the ordinary and often overlooked moments of everyday life. And I think you and I are invited to create intentional space to tend to his presence in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Uh, the good vocation that we have been called into is to be the kind of people who are signposts of new creation. And I think these servants, I think they embody it well. Uh, they don't stop serving. Uh, they don't quit their job in helping serve food and wine, but rather it's in the midst of their vocation. In fact, a vocation that in that day probably would have been looked down on in the midst of that vocation, in the midst of a moment, they know that they've run out of wine. So they're probably feeling stressed and confused all of a sudden, this teacher comes up to them and says, go get water. And I'm sure they're looking going, uh, sir, we don't have a water problem. We have a wine problem. And yet they're the kind of people who are faithfully obedient. They fill the jars all the way up with a common liquid that God uses. And he uses their faithfulness to turn something ordinary into something intoxicating. A miracle happens and no one knows it at first. In fact, it's a hidden miracle. It's a hidden work of God that eventually makes its way out to the steward and to the party. And so the final question I want to invite us to sit with this morning is where do we see water that is waiting? Uh, maybe even water that is groaning to be transformed into wine. Uh, what inhospitable places do we long to become hospitable? What broken places do we long to be restored? What places of chaos do we long for shalom and for peace? And like Mary, I think the invitation for us is to notice where there's a lack, but then to an invite and pull Jesus into that story. And when Jesus came and saw a large group of people worn down, weary, and afraid, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things, healing, proclaiming good news. He brought with him God's hospitality, restoration, and shalom, more than enough for their every need. Friends, Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.